It's a joy to be with you today for this Light Your World Missions Conference. It's an honor and a privilege to stand before you, uh, open God's holy word together to ask for the Spirit's help and guidance, not only to be quick and concise in 30 minutes, but also to better understand and apply these scriptures to our lives and our ministry so that we, together as the people of God, we may lead uh, we may lead our churches, we may lead our families, we may lead our communities, uh, that we may, like lamps on a stand and cities on a hill, better reflect the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? For we did not come here to proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. To Him, to Christ alone, be glory forever. Amen. Amen. We are here today for kingdom work. And appropriately, we are talking about the kingdom of God and of, our, and of His Christ. And Pastor Matt has done a fantastic job laying the foundation for us today, giving us the definition and extent of the kingdom, the, the what and the where, the when, and the where. And so today my task is to talk about the law of the kingdom. The law of the kingdom. Because if there is a kingdom, then there is a king. And if there is a king, then there is something that he is ruling over. As we saw, the what of the kingdom is the rule and the reign of that king. And there is only one of two places for us to fall in the face of that rule. It is either in step with that rule, something that we would, by the way, called orthodoxy, or out of step with that rule, as some would term it, as being an outlaw. There is no rule of a king without some kind of law. And so what is the rule of law in the kingdom of God and of our Christ? And so if we want to be in step with our king, and not labeled as outlaws in the kingdom of God, what is it that we must follow and not transgress? It comes, I believe, as no surprise or revelation to anyone uh, in this room, anyone that's here, I'm sure, that there is one law to govern the kingdom of God, and that is the law of love. Love in two directions. Firstly, love for God. And then... And only then, in light of and in congruence with our love for God, love then also for others, for our neighbors, and especially, as the New Testament would tell us, for the brethren. And Jesus confirms this by His words in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. I invite you to turn there. If you would like, Matthew 20, I don't have a PowerPoint for you as Matt did, so you're going to have to go old school with me. Turn to Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Verse 39. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And let us not forget that new commandment. 
that Jesus called us to in John 13. Turn to John 13, verse 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. This new commandment that Jesus gives and says that it is by obedience to this commandment that people would know that we are His, that we are His disciples. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, says Jesus, that you what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what was the command? Both in Matthew 22 and here in John 13, the command is to love one another, to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The command is love. Love is all we need. All we need is love. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? Which, it's not a mockery. It's true at its core. But we must understand the nature of that love to which we are being called. As we most recently came out of the Christmas season, that great French hymn is likely still in our minds, O Holy Night. What's the line? His law is love. And his gospel is peace. But like the peace that Jesus says that he gives in John's gospel is not like the peace that the world offers. Neither is the love that he gives or the love that he offers and calls us into with himself and with one another. So what is Jesus asking of us then when he calls us to love one another in Matthew 22 and John 13? When he calls us to this kingdom law of love? Is it merely that we have deep feelings of affection for Him and for other people? It's certainly not less than that, but is it more than that? Must we walk around feeling our way to obedience to this command to love by emotional overtures and loving gestures of affection? Is it time to bring back greeting one another with a holy kiss in our times of worship so that we might fulfill the law of love? I'm not sure how that would go over for some of our brothers and sisters in Japan and the rest of the East, but even in our overly gregarious culture here in the West, I'm not sure that that is the application that we are meant to walk away with today. What does the world say? The world would have us believe that love is tolerance, acceptance without any question, without any criticism or critique. I mean, is that not the way that God in Christ accepts us just as we are? Yes. Jesus loves you. Praise God, He loves me just the way that we are. But as we have learned, have we not, that He loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. You see, God's will for you, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, uh, and Jesus also prays for us in the great high priestly prayer in John 17, God's will for you, His will for me, His will for us as those a part of His kingdom is our sanctification. And Jesus prayed in the great high priestly prayer that we would be sanctified in the truth 
of his word. So the question is, what is Jesus saying here in Matthew 22 and John 13? Now, we're all here because of the Great Commission. This is a missions conference. But what Jesus describes in Matthew 22 is called the Great Commandment. And what is he describing here? He clues us in in verse 40 if you jump back over to Matthew 22. He clues us in in verse 40 when he says that on these two commandments, first of all, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, depend, or in the King James, hang, what? All the law. Notice that the word law there is capitalized. And the prophets, again, also capitalized signifying to us in the English-speaking world that Jesus was not referring merely to every law ever written by man or any person proclaimed to be a prophet, but specifically to the law of God given through Moses in the Old Testament and the prophets sent by God to proclaim the word of the Lord to God's people. Essentially, Jesus is using shorthand for speaking of the entire canon of Scripture Up to that point, we must not fall prey to the error of believing that the Old Testament is only law and the New Testament is only grace. Because the Old Testament is a record, a testimony of the grace and faithfulness of God towards His people. And the New Testament is filled with gospel imperatives that we must seek to live out in light of all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus is using these two commandments to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves to summarize all of God's moral law given and expressed uh, concisely in the Ten Commandments. The first commandment representing what we refer to as the first table of the law which includes all of those requirements for the flourishing of our relationship with God. And the second commandment, to love our neighbor as ourself, uh, which encapsulates what we would call the second table of the law, which includes all those requirements for the flourishing of our relationships with others, our neighbors in this world. So, as I said in the beginning, love in two directions. Love for God and love for neighbors, vertical and horizontal. This is made clear in John's Gospel. If we were to keep reading after the new commandment that Jesus gives in that same period of time that Matt referred us to earlier on the night that our Lord was betrayed, these words that He is essentially leaving as sort of parting words with His disciples... And after he says, a new commandment I give to you, which is what? That you are to love one another. Is that really a new commandment? Well, it wasn't really a new commandment at all, was it? Love for neighbor was a command of God in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The newness of that command is that Jesus said we are to love one another as he loved us. As he loved us. 
So if we keep reading from John 13, we find out both how our love for God and for neighbor is meant to be defined, as well as how Jesus' love for the Father and for us was defined. So follow with me if you would. Leaving off from John 13, we jump into John 14. Same period of time, same discussion that's being had with Jesus and his disciples. And we pick up in John 14, verse 15, where Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here, the obedience to God's law and His Word are connected with our love for Jesus. And He says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Jumping down to verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word. And My Father will love him. And we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Is this not the manifestation of the kingdom in the life of the one who loves the king. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Jumping now to verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But what? I'm going to do what I said I was going to do when I met him face to face in the wilderness. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And then John 15, verses 8 through 11. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, listen, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Lastly, verses 12 through 17 of John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, my brother said it this morning in our prayer time, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You see, the problem is when we think that we can define love for ourselves. When we think that we can just feel our way towards obedience to God's command to love one another merely by emotional or affectionate overtures rather than by implementing the very standard of love that God Himself loved us by through sending His Son Jesus Christ who did what? Loved the Father and loved us by obeying the Father's commands. You see, what we find 
We, f- we cannot define love for ourselves, but we find that the love Christ is calling us to is already defined. It is defined by the laws that it represents, which means that the love Christ is calling for is not an overly extroverted, overly emotional feeling of affection. And again, don't get me wrong, not that we are meant to be robots. I must obey God and not... We must have affection for one another, but affection alone is not the definition of what it means to obey the command to love one another. Rather, obedience to the command to love one another is a faithful adherence and obedience to the law of God. My love for you is marked, delineated, defined, judged, and justified by the law of God. That is why the Apostle Paul can say in Romans 13, verses 8 through 14, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and notice Paul talking about love, goes immediately to the second table of the law. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the definition of loving my neighbor? The definition of loving my neighbor is to keep the second table of the law. Love, Paul goes on in verse 10, he says, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, what does he say? Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. If you want to light your world, if you want to see the kingdom of God manifest so that those around you know that Christ is king, what does that look like? He says to put off works of darkness. What is that works of darkness? It's contrasted by the light, which he is defining by living according to the law of God, which is the law of love, which fulfills the law. Let us walk, he says then, properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You may ask, Pastor, what's with all this law? thought the law was done away with. Jesus says no on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 17-20, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter 
the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus could not abolish the law because as Psalm 119 expressly testifies to us that the law of God is an expression of the character and the nature of God. For Jesus to abolish the law would be for him to deny himself. Instead, he graciously fulfills the law for us and in our place. And how does he do it? Does he walk around Judea with a copy of the Torah and a scroll in his pocket that he pulls out and pulls out his pen and licks it and crosses things off as he goes? Oh, I forgot about that one. I better make sure I do that today. Is that how Jesus fulfilled the law for us? No, he fulfilled the law by being himself. The law was an expression of his own character and nature. He didn't have to go around, oh, I hope I didn't do that. I hope I did do that. I hope he was himself, the God-man, the one sent from heaven to fulfill the law by being what the law required. Why? Because it was an expression of his own character and nature. And Paul himself, Paul himself goes to great lengths to show us that we must have the law of God and that he himself, Romans chapter 7, delights in God's law in his inner being. And as Christians, we can as well. Why? Because the law has been fulfilled in Christ. And it has not been fulfilled so that we can cast it away, so that we can throw it away, but rather so that we can, we can be enabled by grace through faith in Christ and the empowering of the indwelling Spirit, walk in His law. Not in fear of punishment when we falter, and we will, but in joy knowing that Christ's perfect love and obedience to the Father for us and in our place, has cast out our fear by removing the just punishment for our failure to keep God's law, taking it upon himself in his body and death, on that cursed tree, he kept God's law of love and gave up his life for those whom he called his friends, even though he was himself their maker. For in this is love, John will go on to write to the church. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us first. And Christ died to be a propitiation for our sins. So we are not walking around as New Testament believers, saved by grace through faith, trying to keep God's law in order to earn justification from God. Christ did it all for us and in our place. But because He did it all, He does not throw away the very thing that is meant to lead us into joy, but rather He has opened the door for us to walk in it so that even as He said to His disciples on that last night, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Far be it from anyone who claims the name of Christ that we could not say along with the psalmist. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. We must not get rid of the law. We must just make sure that like Paul, we get the gospel first. 
Not to counterbalance the law. We don't need to do that. But to show us the law as it is meant to be for us. Remember, it is an expression of God's own character and nature. So when we look at the law, what are we meant to see? We're meant to see His holiness. And in the light of His holiness, what do we see about ourselves? That we have not yet reached that level. And so the law shows us something, something that the reformer Martin Luther called a need for an alien righteousness. We look in the perfection of the law, we see the, the holy, righteous character and nature of God. We see that we have not met it and we are met with a deep need for a Savior as we cannot perfectly keep it. This is called the pedagogical use of the law. Secondly, we find that the law, when we pursue it, when we implement it in our lives, when we, when we implement it in our communities, in our churches, that it acts as a restraining force in our lives, keeping us and those around us from unrestrained evil. This is called the civil use of the law. But lastly, and this is called the normative use of the law, meaning this is the kind of way that we as believers are meant to approach the law in a normative, day-by-day -day way. The law is given to us as a treasure map to joy. As the law of God has been given so that our joy would be complete. Showing those who have been forgiven by free grace how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. You see, God's law is for our flourishing and for our blessing. And to disregard it, to cast it away, to disobey it does not garner blessing, but rather incurs the wrath of the Lord towards sin. Well, I thought you said, brother, that Jesus took the punishment. He did. But shall we sin all the more that grace may abound? Paul says, Romans 6.1, by no means. One of the most emphatic verses in the New Testament. By no means. And we must recognize that if we choose to disregard the law of God, that there are earthly and temporal consequences for that sin, even for those who have perhaps been saved by the grace of God. But for the one who carries on in that place, who refuses to repent, even when the law of God is brought to show them their need, then the question becomes, do they love God at all if they refuse to obey God's commands? So what does this mean? This means... That for us as missionaries or pastors, church leaders, mission, ministry leaders, or even lay people in the church, we must love God like Jesus by loving His law, even as Jesus did, even as Paul did. This means that in matters of church discipline, and yes, if the rule of the kingdom is the law of God, which is the law of love, then there must be recourse when that law is transgressed. It's what we call church discipline. 
So that in matters of church discipline, we do not judge things according to what feels loving, but according to what God's law tells us is loving. It means that we do not take away from God's love because that would be removing, excuse me, we do not take away from God's law because that would be removing that which is loving for God's people and they would be incomplete. We do not add anything to God's law, burdening God's people's consciences because that would be unjust and that is unloving. We must also start with those who are our closest neighbors and not seek to define love on our own for ourselves, but let our love be defined by God's love and God's law, which means I start at home with my wife, with my kids, at my church, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how they will know you're my disciples, Jesus said, by your love for one another. Not because of overly affectionate gestures, but because we love each other by keeping the law of God. I love you by keeping God's law. I love my church by keeping God's law. I love my community, my region, my nation, our world by keeping God's law. I love God by keeping His commandments. And so then, what? We must repent where we have embraced tolerance over God's law. We must repent where we have walked away from God's law saying it's no longer needed in my life. It's no longer needed in my church. We don't need to worry about that. We must repent where we have maybe taken an opposite role and have tried out of fear for not keeping all of the law like the Pharisees heaping additional laws on the people of God, which is injustice. We must repent where we have unjustly enacted laws or rules that go against or take away from God's law. And let us not forget that statement in the Great Commission that along with all of the things that we are passionate to do, which is what? Make disciples baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus also commanded us to what? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And in that, He promises what? That I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. God bless you.